I'm going to try to make it through this. Uh, <laughs> Somebody was being very tender. Thank you for that. Uh, we're going to look at James chapter 4. If you want to go ahead and turn there while I try to compose myself. <laughs> Those of you that know me know that this is normal. <laughs> Those of you that don't know me will find out, possibly, depending on how things go. <laughs> that this is normal. I got a friend of mine that says uh, Sam's got a lot of girl in him, so that's why I, I don't know what that means. In this day and age, that could be offensive, and I don't care. So I'm just going to say that right now. James chapter 4, we're going to look at verse 13. It's an honor to be with you all this morning. It's a little overwhelming to be here this morning, but it's an honor as well. Wow. Pull it together. James chapter 4, verse 13. Scripture says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business, make a profit. Yet you do not know uh, tomorrow, what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are like vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. One of my granddaughters the other day, when my wife Brenda offered her a glass of milk, said, No thanks, Nana, I am black toast intolerant. <laughs> Not exactly sure if, what that meant. But it just reminded me that children say some of the craziest things, <laughs> the funniest things. They do uh, fun things, it's fun to watch them, right? There was a kindergarten class in Sioux City, Iowa, where the teacher asked all the boys and girls what they wanted to be when they grew up, and along with the regular expected responses, I want to be a doctor, I want to be a lawyer. Nobody said I want to be a preacher. That was a little disheartening. One, of, one little boy shouted out, I want to be God. And while we might think, well, that's kind of clever, it's a cute little story about a little boy who really doesn't understand how things work, how the universe works, it's okay, maybe... Drop your expectations just a little bit, son, but that's okay. But the truth is, he expressed something that is true about all of humanity. We want to be God. Now, nobody in this room would say that out loud or say it that way. But sometimes the way that we live our lives, we are saying, I'm in charge. I make my own decisions. It's my life. I'll do with it whatever I want to do. We want to make our own rules and be in charge. And the Bible describes in many different ways all the characteristics or, or the characteristics of what a true believer or a follower of Christ, uh, all those characteristics that we should have in our lives as followers. Love for God, repentance from sin, humility, devotion to God's glory, prayer, love for others, living a life that's different from the ways of the world, living in obedience to the commands that God gives us in the scriptures. And when we accept that free gift of life that God offers to us through Jesus, 
Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that we are instantaneously changed. He tells us we are new creations. The old is gone and the new has come. And we are instantaneously changed, made brand new. And at the same time, a process is set in motion where God uses that to mold us and shape us into who he wants us to be for the rest of our lives. There's change involved. And really what happens is when we become that new creature, that new creation... When we receive that gift of life that God offers us through Christ, in essence, we are surrendering ourselves to him, and we're declaring to him and to others, my life is no longer my own. It no longer belongs to me. My life belongs to God. It changes from a self-focused life, it's my life, to a God-focused life. My life belongs to him. So one of the strongest indicators that we can have in our lives as a follower of Christ, that we're progressing in our discipleship, that we're growing to become more like Jesus, is is to develop a strong desire to give up control of our lives and willingly submit ourselves to the will of God. Psalm 40 verse 8 says, I delight to do your will, my God, and your instruction is deep within me. Psalm 143 verse 10 says, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Of course, we know the greatest example from the scriptures of the one who, who uh, lived for and did the will of God was, is Christ. And he says in John chapter 6, verse 38, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. While in the Garden of Gethsemane, you remember, uh, hopefully you will remember. If not, you should study the Gospels more. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing the terrible pain and suffering that Jesus was about to face, he prayed, My Father, if it is possible to let this pass, let it pass. But then he says, But not my will be done, your will be done. Even the Son of God, the creator of the universe, submitted himself to the will of the Father. So the question for us this morning, and really every day that we live, is are we willing to submit to his will or not? So in the passage that we just read a moment ago in James, uh, James is reiterating the importance of doing the will of God. In fact, this whole letter, the whole book of James can be thought, the whole scriptures can, but really James is thought of as a how-to book. How How do we take faith and works and put those together? We can't just live by faith. We can't just talk about faith. We've got stuff we've got to do. We've got stuff that God has called us to do. How do we marry that? James helps us to understand that. And a part of that in James chapter 4, like we just read a moment ago, is this idea of following and doing and submitting ourselves to God's will and not making our own decisions, Trying trying our best to follow him. It's such a practical thing to think about for us. And he uses the analogy of businessmen who makes plans to kind of paint the picture for us, something that's easy for us to understand. So the first thing, there's there's four different things I want to point out to you this morning. The first thing is that James is telling us it is reckless to ignore God's will. It's reckless to ignore God's will. Look at verses 13 and 14 again. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there. And do business and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you are a vapor 
that appears for a little while, for you are like vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. To, to ignore God's will in our lives is in essence to live as if God doesn't exist. Let, let's just call it what it is. Let's just call it what it is. It can be thought of as practical atheism. Where we say we believe in God, we sing praise songs to him, and we study the Bible, yet we live our lives in a way that denies his will or that ignores his will. One of my favorite theologians, a fellow named John Blanchard, he describes it as living life with God left out. What a great way to describe that. And by the way, let me just pause for a second. I don't have this figured out. Okay? I'm not standing before you this morning to tell you, you all got to get your stuff together. You got to learn how to follow the will of the Lord. Me too. In fact, maybe more so than some of you. What James uses this statement, he says, come now. It's, it's like, listen up, pay attention. He's trying to get our attention. Pay close attention. He wants to make sure that we're listening. And then he focuses on, he's pointing to a particular group of people, those who say, you who say, today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. And really the, the, the Greek text is basically saying to the ones who are saying this, he's giving this idea, James is telling us that there are people who are saying this. I have heard this and I want to address this. Those of you that are saying this, I've got a word for you. I want you to pay attention. It's the idea of continually making plans for their lives without considering what God has for them or what, God, the, what God's plan for them is. And this illustration that James is using is, is very familiar. Most everybody make plan, makes plans, right? In fact, we made plans to be here this morning. I, I, if you accidentally walked in here this morning, we're glad you're here. But most everybody made plans, I'm going to church tomorrow. And James is not necessarily condemning the planning. There's, there's really nothing wrong with the things that they are saying, the words that they're using. The issue is that they're making extensive plans while ignoring God. God is not a part of their thinking. It's, it's the sin of presumption. We presume upon God. Proverbs 16.9 says, In his heart a man plans his ways, but the Lord determines his steps. We heard that on the video. Isn't it interesting that that's a comparison contrast thing, right? In his heart a man plans his ways, but it's the Lord who determines his steps. That doesn't mean we don't have free will. It doesn't mean we, can make, doesn't, we, we don't make our own decisions, but we just have to make sure because we've surrendered our lives to Christ that we consult him in the decisions that we make. And more than just consulting him, that we decide that what he leads us to do, we're going to be obedient and do, even if it's hard. So am I, am I saying we don't need to make plans for the future? That's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm sure that you have figured that out. But what I am saying is that our view is limited, and so our plans should always be tentative. In the old days... We had these little booklet thingies that when you opened it up, it had these squares and it had date uh, numbers and it represented the dates. It's called a calendar. 
a paper calendar. And when I, when I would make an appointment with somebody, if I wasn't sure that I was going to be able to make that appointment, I would write it in pencil. Nowadays, you pull out your phone, you click on the date, you type in, and then you backspace because you got fat thumbs and you misspelled everything, but you type in the appointment, and then you might hit tentative, or you might hit that it's set. Well, that doesn't work for me. I need something. i got to touch it. So I have a paper calendar sometimes. I have one on my phone, too. Don't, for, don't be judging me, you young folks. But on the paper calendar, it's written in pencil. And then when it's set, then I erase it and write it in ink. Then it's set. If it's in ink, it's set. When we decide to do something, when we're making plans for our lives, we should always, always write in pencil. Always. Because we don't know for sure right away what God has in store for us. And we don't want to be practical atheists. We're followers of Christ. We're all in on being obedient and following him and listening to what he has for us. So when we, when we make plans, we got, they've got to be tentative because we've got to be willing to say to the Lord, Lord, I'm, I'm kind of planning this, but if you have something else in mind, would you please reveal that to me and I'll shift my plans or I'll adjust my plans or I'll completely 100% change my plans to something that I hadn't even considered if you're leading me in that direction. Something that might help us to remember that our plans that we should make are, uh, should be tentative is that, as I've sort of alluded to a moment ago, that we no longer really belong to ourselves. So we really don't get to make the decisions for ourselves, as far as, particularly as far as big things are concerned. We're not our own. Paul says, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, when you read the context of that passage, it's speaking primarily about sexual purity. But the principle is the same. The principle is the same. Paul's applying it to this part of our lives, to the sexual purity. But the idea of we don't belong to ourselves, we've surrendered our lives to Christ, that's true. Romans 12, Paul talks as, uh, urges us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. I don't know if you've ever really thought about the idea of what a living sacrifice is. In the Old Testament sacrificial system, you killed the animal and sacrificed it on the altar. A living sacrifice can still get off of the altar. We, we shouldn't do that. We should submit to what he's calling us to do and follow his will and be obedient. But it's a living sacrifice. It's a We've got to be willing to do it. Lord, the Lord understands we could jump off if we want to. But that's not what's best for the kingdom. It's not best for us. I think part of it is an issue of trust. A trust issue. We need to learn that he is 100% completely trustworthy. We may not understand what's going on. We may even get a little frustrated with what's going on, trying to figure out, Lord, what, is, what are you doing? But we can remember that he is fully trustworthy because he sees the big picture. He created the big picture. He's working out the plan of the big picture. 
Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as the heaven is higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are not your thoughts. The Lord knows what's best for us, and he wants what's best for us. And the truth is, we don't know any of that stuff. We don't know the future. We don't know what's going to happen in the next five seconds, let alone the next five years. But we trust that God is in control, and we know that we can trust him in that. And so we just, we live and we follow. It's interesting, the last part, as I mentioned a moment ago, of Proverbs 16.9, it's a good reminder for us. The Lord determines his steps. The Lord shows us where to go. And in James 4.13, those businessmen who have somehow, they've somehow become convinced that their lives are theirs to do with as they please, and they've got confidence in this false idea that they are the masters of their own fate. We see it in the five statements that they make. First of all, they choose their own plans. They say today or tomorrow. They choose their own destination to such and such a city. They choose how long they will stay, spend a year there. They chose their own enterprise and do business. And they chose their own outcome to make a profit. And again, James is not attacking their desire to be prepared, nor is he attacking their desire even to make a profit necessarily. But he's attacking the fact, he's addressing the fact that they are leaving God out of the process completely. They're planning as if they are the ones who are all-knowing instead of him. We're, we're, we're guilty of that too, aren't we? Can we be honest in church? You better be honest in church. Well, you better be honest anywhere, everywhere, but if you're going to be honest in church, it's the place to be. Thanks for the little giggle I got from that. <laughs> it is reckless for the followers of Jesus to live our lives with God left out. Verse 14 gives us some major reasons why. It says, yet you do not even know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. The simple fact is that nobody knows what the future holds. We see the same idea in Proverbs 27.1. Don't boast about tomorrow, for you don't know what a day will bring, a day, uh, day might bring. Life is incredibly complex, and there's a lot going on. Events and people and contingencies and circumstances that are way beyond our control, and it makes, us, it makes it impossible for us to be able to know with any certainty what the future will bring. Besides all that, we just don't have the ability to know the future. <laughs> we don't. Sorry if you think you do. You're wrong. We don't know what a day might bring. Solomon wrote in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, a very familiar passage of Scripture, particularly when we're talking about the Lord's will and his guidance. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. It's presumptuous to think we can live and plan without God. Presumption denies who we are, who God is, meaning God being God's people, who God is, and how much we need God day by day. Indeed, life is a gift of God which comes from his love and his mercy. The other reason that it's reckless is that life is short, for you're like a vapor, the scripture James says. You're like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Life is temporary. As temporary as a puff of smoke from a fire or a bubble when you blow bubbles. 
That's really temporary. And it's utter foolishness for us, knowing that life is this fragile and short, to plan and live life without the God of all creation giving us direction and surrendering to his will. Over and over, the Bible reminds us that life is short. Psalm 90, verses 9 and 10, For all your days ebb away under your wrath. For all our days ebb away under your wrath, and we end our years like a sigh. Our lives last 70 years, or if we're strong, 80 years, and even the best of them are struggle and sorrow. Indeed, they pass quickly and we fly away. It seems like a long time to us, but those of us who are a little older, we know that as we look back, we go, man, where has the time gone? Psalm 102, verse 11, my days are like a lengthening shadow, and I wither away like grass. Psalm 103, verses 15 and 16, as for man, his days are like grass. He blooms like a flower of the field, and when the wind passes over it, it vanishes, and, it, 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 and its place is no longer known. Life is brief. Here today, gone tomorrow. So we should not be reckless and ignore God's will. The second thing that James tells us here in this passage that was a long time on point one. Don't worry. The rest of them are longer. <laughs> it's not true. I spent so much time on the first one that I don't have much to say for these other ones. But that's okay. We're just going to keep on going. The second thing James tells us is there is a better way. Or as the Mandalorian would put it, this is the way. Look at verse 15. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As a contrast to what we read in the first two verses of this passage, this section, James gives us a response. He's saying, don't be this way. Instead, instead of practical atheism or self-theism, the downright disobedience James tells us to ignore he says, if the Lord, we should say instead, if the Lord wills and we will live, or we will live and do this or that. Our, our planning should be completely rooted in the fact that our life and our future are not under our own control. We've surrendered that to the Lord and it's under his control. And it's more than just merely tacking on a phrase like, if the Lord wills, we will do this. Have you, you've heard the phrase, maybe you've heard some people say, Lord willing and the creek don't rise. You've heard that, Right? Well, out here, we don't, you know, Lord willing, and the dry arroyo don't rise. That's what we say. There's no danger in that, is there? <laughs> but it's more that, that that's just really just a clever saying that we tack on to stuff. And James is not saying, do whatever you want, and then just tack on to make sure that God is appeased. Tack on, well, if, if God wants us to, we'll do that. I said, don't do that. And he said, instead... If the Lord wills, we will do this or that. So really, really, we should, in any major decision that we're making in our life, we, as followers of Jesus, we should consult the Lord and ask for his guidance in our direction. Another thing that we do sometimes, we have this big plan for God. I want to do this for the Lord. When people say that to me, I'm always like, that's great. What if he doesn't want you to do that? Oh, no, 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 no. It'll bring glory to him. What if he doesn't want you to do that? What if that's not your calling? What if that's not your job? What if he's got somebody else in mind to do that? Are you willing to give up that dream? I don't even like that word. 
I don't dream things for God. I try to follow what God is leading me to do. We say these big plans, and then we, then we kind of tack on. Well, Lord, we want to do all of this. Would you help us accomplish that? I think a better way to approach it would be, Father, we, we want people to be saved. We, we want people to be discipled. We want you to be glorified and magnified. Show us what to do, please. However you lead us, we will do that. Now, it's easy to talk about it. It's hard to apply it sometimes because there's some unknowns, so it takes some discernment and it takes some study and it takes some conversation and it takes a a group of people praying together, seeking the Lord's face. But I promise you, I'm not promising. I will tell you that God promises us. He will show us the way, whatever that way is. The will of God must be the hub of our decision-making. If we build our lives around any other plan, we will find ourselves saying how sad it is that God gave me what I wanted and not what he wanted. Let's just be careful about that, folks. Again, I'm, I'm learning this. I'm still learning this. Not just because of what's going on today, but it's what God has been working in me for a long time. How do we know what the Lord's will is? Like, where do we go to college? Who do we marry? What job do we have? Where do we live? All other kind of big decisions. We're like, there's so much to decide, we can't figure it out. Yeah, I know. That's why God puts people in our lives to help us. We get counsel from them, and we read the scriptures, and we pray, and we seek his face, and he begins to reveal that to us. Sometimes it takes a long time, and he reveals a little bit at a time. Sometimes it's this huge thing, and you're like, I did not see that coming. So, while you're wrestling with that stuff, it's okay to ask God those questions. It's okay to wrestle with that because at least you're willing to submit yourself to his authority, right? But we do know some things that God wants us to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm sorry, I said Corinthians. I can't even read my own notes. And they're typed. 1 <laughs> Thessalonians 5. First Thessalonians. I don't have anything against the Corinthians. I think they're wonderful people. First Thessalonians 5, verse 15 through 18. Here's some pretty clear instructions, I think. See to it that no one repays evil for evil. That's God's will for us. To anyone. I spoke too soon there. But always pursue what is good. God's will for us. Rejoice always. Pray constantly. Give thanks in everything. And then look, he, he kind of, Paul says, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. He kind of helped us to see the obvious point that he's making for us, right? What is God's will for my life? Well, don't repay evil for evil. Pursue what is good for one another and for all. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in everything. There are some explicit things that God tells us in the scriptures that he wants us to do as his followers. Yes, 
There are times when we have to struggle to try to figure out where he's leading us. And I think that's part of how we develop that faith and trust in him that he wants to develop in us. And I think that honestly, I think, at least for me, sometimes that's the reason he only reveals a little bit at a time because he's trying to show me more and more that I can trust him completely and that I can't do it on my own, but that I need him 100%. I like the way the New Living Translation says, verse 14, I'm sorry, verse 15 of James 4, what you ought to say is this, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. I like the way that, that's, that they kind of word that. The third thing that we see from James here is don't be arrogant. Not only are there some who ignore God's will, but there are, uh, as well as those who deny his will, but there's, there are those who um, completely uh, are arrogant about the stuff that they're doing without God. Remember, the, those who deny his will are self-theists, and those who... Uh, refuse to sit, submit to it. They set themselves up and they set their own goals, their own, they have their own will above God's will, and they, they just try to live that way. Look at James 4.16. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Don't, don't be arrogant. Don't be arrogant. Let's just call it Call it what it is. It's arrogance. When we try to live our own lives and not be obedient to what God has called us to do, it's arrogance. James says that boasting is okay if you boast in the Lord. Look at, uh, or let me just read for you James chapter 1, verse 9. Let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation. Boasting in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 1.31, the one who boasts must boast in the Lord. What these folks are doing that James is addressing here is they're boasting in their own arrogances that, that they think that they have control of their own lives. One theologian says this, this idea of being arrogant, is based on the invalid assumption that we are able to control our own destiny, that we have the power to determine the course of our own lives. James tells us it's all empty, arrogant, and foolish. And then he says, all such boasting is evil. Thanks, James. Appreciate that. I just love how God's word just he kind of knew what he was doing didn't he to help us understand what it means to follow him and to be obedient to him and how to live and to tell his story of how he stepped into history and then finally in verse 17 James tells us to call it what it is so it is sin to know the good and yet not do it it's like a little bow that he ties off this little section with don't do this. Don't be this way. Don't be arrogant. Instead, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. And now that I've said all of that, let me just remind you that if you ignore that, that's sin. Let's just call it what it is. It's sin. Those that are guilty of the sin that James is referring to is they know God exists. 
And they, they might even acknowledge the greatness of his will, but they go ahead and do what they want anyway. <laughs> That's a tough place to be. Probably all of us could testify to that in our own lives. We've all experienced that. I have. Thought I was doing the right thing. Thought I was being obedient to him. Or I even knew what it was. I don't really think he wants me to do this, but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. As a reminder, sin, of course, is not only missing the mark or doing wrong. We call that the sin of commission, where we commit a sin. But there's also the sin of failing to do right. That's the sin of omission. That's something that we don't do. That's, again, what I love about the scriptures is there's don't do this, do this. God, God didn't just say, I, I, one preacher friend of mine put it this way. There's, there's a lot of don'ts in the Bible, but there's a lot of do's. And if we spend all of our time doing the do's, we won't have time to do the don'ts. <laughs> I think I said that right, even. Boy, I... When we bend to God's will and we are affirming, what we're doing is we are affirming the fact that we recognize and we acknowledge that he is sovereign over all the areas of our life and that we have life only because he has allowed us to have it. For he is the only one who has power over death and the grave. The only one. So, so what is, let me just kind of sum it up in one statement. What's the takeaway for this morning? It's a strong desire to do the will of God. It, uh, it, a strong desire for us to do the will of God is a sure mark of a transformed life or a life that is being transformed. As our desire to do his will grows, that is evidence to ourselves and to one another that we are actually being transformed. We're letting him have control more and more of our lives. Do it. Surrender to his will. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, we want to thank you for allowing us to be here today. Thank you for your scriptures. Thank you for teaching us. Lord, it would have been so easy for you to create us and just drop us off in this planet and just tell us to live any way we wanted. And you give us that freedom, Father, but also you gave us instruction. You've shown your great kindness and love to us in that. You have given us your word so that we don't have to live on our own. We can follow you. Father, thanks for the way that you reveal yourself to us through your scripture through conversation with one another, through the beauty of your creation, because you love us. You speak to us. So, Father, during this time, I pray this morning that you will continue to speak to us. Well, I, you, I know you will continue to speak. Father, I pray that we will listen, that we will hear, and that we will obey and do whatever it is you've called us to do. This time is yours, Father. This whole day is yours. Please help us to know how to respond to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.